Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 173 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, episodes 27 through 30, where gluttony vomits two boys and a big spooky dog, dad doesn't want you to do your alchemies, and the evil is coming from inside the capital. Yeah, and Link from Shang is gonna get down with some bing in the wings. I don't know. I, I thought I was like, I was like, maybe I'll try to come up with the Link from Shang rap, but I couldn't, and so this is my first dumb request that I want. We've made many <laughs> dumb requests to our audience of listeners, but can somebody please write a Link from Shang rap this is just a legit, earnest question. Please, please, someone do this. Anyways, let's jump in. You see, the problem that you had is that you haven't been working on your freestyle game. Yeah, that's what it is. It's that. And, <laughs> it's that and, and uh, you know. Un, un, I just uh, unmitigated I whiteness. Just, <laughs> yeah, unmitigated is a good way to put that. Uh, I uh, I just looked and saw that I didn't make previously on notes for myself, and I'm mad at past Blake for doing this to <laughs> present Blake. But I also have news. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, in the world of anime and anime adjacent things, I got two things. One, Pokemon Unite is now out on mobile. Uh, that happened, uh, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, that happened, I think, this tu- Tuesday? What day of the week is it now when we're recording this? Is it Thursday? Yeah, that's uh, what it is. I think it came out on Tuesday. That sounds right. <laughs> um, the 22nd it was. Today's the 23rd? That doesn't make sense. Good lord. What is remember. happening to you? It came out earlier this week. <laughs> is, the, is, what you're, is what you're saying is that it has become all-consuming and now you can't do anything else with your life other than play Pokemon? I already played a lot of Pokemon Unite on Switch. And let me tell you, I, I have never played a game that was designed to use a controller on my phone, if that makes sense. Like, Pokemon Unite has a lot of buttons. You have a lot of stuff that you're doing. Um, I think, based on this being my first experience playing a game that I did or could have played with a controller, uh, like, that would have warranted it. Like, I play Marvel Strike Force on my phone, and that is... Pretty simple. It's just a couple of buttons that show up on your screen. It is a turn-based fighting game. And then, you know, you rank up your characters in like a series of menus and stuff like that. So it really, you know, it could show up on a console, but it, it does not, it wouldn't use all the buttons on the controller. Pokemon Unite doesn't technically use all the buttons, but you can make use of them uh, in different ways. And it's got a lot of stuff going on. So I was a little skeptical about how it would feel going from a switch controller to just holding a phone and having the buttons be on the same screen that I'm trying to like watch stuff on. Uh, and it, it works pretty well. There's definitely some quality of life things about utilizing a switch controller that I am not going to want to give up. And so I, I can foresee myself playing Pokemon unite on my phone 
from time to time, but most of the time, if I'm going to be around my switch, I'll probably just wait and play it on my switch. Um, but that said, I love Pokemon unite. I've never played a MOBA before. And, uh, I have been interested in the genre, but never like drawn to it, but I love Pokemon. And so this has totally gotten me into it. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's totally, it's, it's a free to start game. And there's been a lot of controversy about whether or not putting money into it gives you an unfair advantage. I was just reading an article when Spencer called that the new update makes the advantage of spending money far, far less. So uh, basically you're, you're able to rank things up quicker, but the new update introduced some new items that free to player characters can get that allows you to upgrade your items even faster. So you can catch up to the money spenders that much quicker. So at this point, really, I think the only barrier that I can see as a free to play player is like unlocking Pokemon faster because you can you can buy those Pokemon if you want, or you can use that in-game currency that you sort of slowly accrue over time. Um, so I, I've got probably a little bit less than half the roster now because um, you get, I don't know, you get like five Pokemon at the beginning and then it's pretty easy to unlock one or two right away. Um, but now I've been working on getting back up to that level for a while. And uh, so it takes time, there's stuff to spend money on, but I think unlocking a character if you're going to spend money, I think unlocking a character is a satisfying thing to spend money on. There's also costumes and shit that are really cute. Um, if you are interested in mobile, they are giving away a special Pikachu. I know it was a pre-registration bonus, but I believe I read somewhere that you can get access to it if you sign up by the mobile by a certain date. So uh, if you're interested in the game, go ahead and sign up for it. Uh, just to see if you can snag that Pikachu. They're giving away Pikachu for free, and they're giving a special costume with it that I think you can still get access to. Um, they're also providing another means to get Zero Oro, which is a very powerful character in the game. So uh, you, there's some sort of campaign that you have to play to get that. Uh, people with the Switch unlocked Zero Aura just by just by starting the game. Zero Aura was sort of the thank you for playing bonus that Pikachu is for the mobile version. So I don't know exactly what you're supposed to do to get Zero Aura because they already have it. But uh, I do know that they made a, a method for getting it. Uh, and be, in the time between when the free Zero Aura was given away and now, there was not a way to get it. So uh, I would go ahead and jump on that if you're interested uh, because Zero Aura is super good. Um, all that said... If you don't have a Switch, you now have access to Pokemon Unite. It is cross-play, so you can play it on mobile and be pitted against people who are also playing on mobile or against people who are playing on Switch or a combination of the two, I believe. Um, you can also, as you may have determined already, link your accounts. So when I'm playing on mobile, I'm playing the same account that I'm playing on Switch. So any time that I play on my phone... I am making progress on the account that I've already been playing for a month on my Switch. Uh, I love this game. I think it's really fun. Uh, there's quite a few people in our uh, Blake and Spencer Get Jumped Discord that are talking about the game. Actually, we should probably make a Pokemon Unite channel so that we're not <laughs> blowing up the Discord uh, regular chat with Unite stuff. Uh, but in there, people have been posting their friend codes and stuff like that. So if you're interested in getting somewhere to talk about Unite, uh, and finding people that are playing Unite with relative consistency. Um, check out our Discord if you haven't already. And I know already that we've gotten at least one more person in our Discord that hadn't been playing because they don't have a Switch. 
that is now playing that the mobile version is out. So if you're interested, join us. Pokemon Unite's pretty fun. It's free to play. It's really easy to pick up. Uh, and now you can just play it on your phone. Um, other news, I literally was just reading this before the article about the Pokemon Unite art items while I was, um, you know, spending the time between waking up and, and having Spencer call me to do this recording. So, uh, Cowboy Bebop, the Netflix live action adaptation. My newsfeed knows that I'm interested in this and keeps serving up juicy tidbits. And, uh, I think that this is probably some of the biggest news that we're kind of keeping our eyes on here on the show just in general. So I, I am glad to be kept in the loop. Uh, I was just reading an article from IGN that noted that the uh, series creators for the new live action Netflix uh, show were considering it an expansion of the canon. So it isn't, they are explicitly not attempting to recreate the anime, but rather to add to it, which is uh, to me, good news. That's what I was hoping that they would do, because as I've said before, I think recreating the anime is just going to always put you up against which one did it better. And I think the anime is pretty much always going to win that fight because the anime is so, so good. Um, so yeah, uh, in this, they, they were talking specifically to, I believe it was the showrunner Andre Nemec, uh, who said that it was going to be an expansion of the canon, um, that they would get, they were going to add some things to the mythos, uh, but that they explicitly wanted to not take away from the anime. And he noted kind of what I, what I had said a few times, which is, um, the anime, uh, the anime is so good that, uh, what did he say? He felt redoing the anime would deliver disappointing results as it would, quote, leave an audience hungry for something that they already saw. Um, so I think that this is the correct approach. Um, I absolutely still think that it leaves the door open for missteps. Uh, and I am going to be completely blown away if it doesn't receive a lot of criticism from people who wanted it to be a shot for shot remake of the anime or uh, who pe who don't like what they did with it, who are like, I don't like that they added this. I don't like that they interpreted the character this way, whatever. But yeah, this, this article is a confirmation of what I have been hoping to hear that they are not just trying to remake the anime. And it is to me, reassuring that they are taking this in a, in a direction that's going to allow them to make a good show that will be able to be a companion piece to the anime instead of just second fiddle to it. So I like that a lot. Um, they also mention in the final, in the final paragraph. And again, if I didn't say this, this is from IGN uh, cowboy bebop will debut a 10 episode first season on Netflix on November 19th. So that's coming up pretty quick. Um, I suspect that you will be hearing about it on a Monday pod coming your way soon thereafter. And then uh, they also mentioned that Netflix has several other live action anime adaptations in the pipeline. Oh the yeah. Three that they this mentioned. Is, this is are, the biggest one. The The biggest one yeah. for sure is uh, I, I know that you're, you're going to be talking about one piece and your name uh, are both really interesting to me, but the, yeah, one, but the that other one made me shit shocked my pants. Me. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Like, so let's let's uh let's hold on that because it's way exciting. Okay. So one piece, we know one piece is coming. Uh, 
that one I'm much more skeptical about because One Piece is such a sprawling epic that is literally currently ongoing. Yeah, and also, I'm also like One Piece is one of those that deserves and needs a straight up Marvel sized budget and needs. Yeah, it's which heavy on special effects. Yeah, I mean, Netflix has thrown that kind of money at things in the past, Mm -hmm. and Marvel literally has done that now, too. So it has been established that shows that take a a cinema-like budget can happen and can work, uh, and therefore can be worth it for those studios. Uh, But I don't know if One Piece... I mean, One Piece is this huge property, but on the other hand, us over here in the West, specifically people running big studios tend not to uh, translate the massive dollar success of franchises like One Piece into faith. So I don't know how that one's going to go. Also, One Piece as a series works often on cartoon logic a little bit. So I'm skeptical, but, you know, hopeful. Um, Yeah, and then Your Name was also mentioned. I was aware that there was a live-action Your Name, or at least uh, the rights for Your Name had been purchased uh, if you don't know, Your Name is, a, I think, a 2014 Japanese movie. It's just a standalone movie. It may be based on a, mo- on a novel. I don't recall. Um, and Spencer and I, long ago, like, I think early in the pandemic, we watched it for a crossover episode that then had to get rescheduled out of existence. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we were going to watch it for our show. I did watch it for the show. Uh, and then we just didn't record the show about it. I loved it. Uh, I, I'm hoping that we get a crossover to watch it someday so that I can go in depth on talking about it because I thought it was fantastic. Uh, and I thought it would make a decent live action adaptation, um, especially a Western one, because then you get some like subtle shifts in the way that our cultures approach things. And I think that would be an interesting addition to the frame story. Um, initially when I was reading about it back when we originally watched it, I heard that it was a movie being developed by JJ Abrams, which raised an eyebrow or two from me. Um, so I'm curious to see what they're doing with that, but they don't mention who's doing it. Um, I I'm assuming it included here means that Netflix has the distribution rights to it and is working on it. So I don't know if that means it, it went away from JJ or if he's working with Netflix. Uh, but that's, that's intriguing because the anime movie was fantastic. But yeah, this last one I had not heard of, and I am Baba Shook. Yeah. Okay. This last one is uh, is is astounding to me, which might be super new and hot off the presses if you're not aware of it. <laughs> but uh, Taika Waititi, uh, somebody who might be your favorite person from doing uh, Thor Ragnarok, um, or what just being astounding in what we do in the shadows. And uh, if you're interested in all those things and you want more Taika, well, uh, you're going to get a Akira adaptation. So what? <laughs> yeah. Akira, if you don't know, uh, if you are uninitiated or if you're somebody who's just joining into anime and uh, has very specific watch tastes, go watch Akira. Akira is one of the hallmark m- movies that you should see as an anime fan if you haven't i also think that it might be one of the most visually stunning movies ever made uh it is definitely up there with anything that is a live action movie that is considered stunning i'm i'm looking at like uh, original uh amazing 
sci-fi movies that have been created. I'm looking at uh, original, you know, big budget movies that have been created. Even if you're looking at I mean, they the even canon. reference it. They reference it in an episode of Rick and Morty. Jerry oh, yeah. name drops. He says, don't like, don't turn my son into an Akira. Yeah. And he just says it because it's such a, it's such an establishment. Property. Oh yeah. Like it's, it, it, to it's give foundation. You- if if you remember when we had Jeff on from mother's basement talking about castle in the sky and he was like, everything is castle in the sky. If it's not castle in the sky, it's Akira. That's those are like the rules of anime. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's the most astounding thing about Akira. I think that uh, a lot of people miss, which is that the beauty and color palette inside of Akira is so vast and amazing that it uses 327 different colors in the creation of the movie. 50 of those colors were exclusively created for this film. It is astounding that the the way that this has been created, and by the way, they didn't create the color like, you know, pulled it from nowhere existence and put it into something. They took it from the spectrum of colors that had been used inside of animation before. Um, and they were like, hey, these colors aren't in the spectrum yet of animation that have been used before. Let's use these. So they were literally pioneers of color in animation. It is it is an astounding piece of work. And uh, if if I haven't trusted anybody for a while to make a good anime thing, I definitely trust somebody like Taika who is able to pull things out of nowhere and make them astounding. I I really I really want to stress to people that Thor Ragnarok had very, very, very low bars to clear after the first two Thor movies in a lot of people's eyes. Thor was one of those properties inside of the Marvel canon that was considered like the B tier of the Marvel movies. And I've even seen a lot of people put the second movie as like a C or a D tier inside of the Marvel movies. And then Ragnarok rolled around. Yeah, it's often cited as one of the worst unless you're considering the Incredible Hulk to be canon. Yeah, and they rolled around Ragnarok and everybody was just like, oh, now Thor is my favorite character. He has the ability to bring that up. He also invented... It was a soft reboot of Thor because of the way that they let him do it. Yeah, and also, he didn't invent the character. Uh, I think he existed in canon beforehand, but he definitely reinvented the way the character is represented to people but the character of Korg is one of the most amazing characters oh, yeah. in Marvel Cinematic Universe canon now. And I I just, I love Korg so much. I'm made out of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think all of what you're saying can be boiled down to Taika Waititi has established a strong auteur voice as a filmmaker and his massive successes, uh, specifically in the vein of Thor Ragnarok like that, that it it can't be underestimated what that did because what you have is as Spencer said, it was as much as can be in the Marvel cinematic universe. It was a flagging property. Like I remember as a huge Marvel fan being really skeptical that Thor needed a third movie. Like he's cool in the Avengers movies, but none of his, neither of his first two had really done it for me. I will say the first one's better than I remember having rewatched it recently, but like, um, I, I just didn't ha- hold them in high esteem. 
and certainly not compared to what, what else was being done with the other heroes. And, and so Taika Waititi comes in as a relatively unknown director at that time. Like he was, he was definitely a working, a working director and a working actor. Um, but he wasn't a big name and he comes in and Marvel, this was, you know, sort of during a transition in which the Marvel movies were allowing their creators a much more free reign. And so they bring in somebody like Taika Waititi, who is at this time of a relative unknown, but who has strong ideas for doing something different than what has been done, not only with Thor, but with almost all of the MCU. I mean, obviously comparisons can be made between Ragnarok and guardians of the galaxy, there is a certain similar voice and sort of like um, aesthetic sensibility there, but uh, he comes in and he does something completely fresh and new. And um, because it is a Marvel movie, because it is a third Thor movie um, and because it is crazy well-received, you get Taika Waititi being established as a person whose name people know, a person that people are looking out for. Like I was actually weirdly having a conversation with my husband the other day about Taika Waititi's success from Ragnarok. And, and Pete was like, I don't think that he would have been able to do Jojo rabbit if Ragnarok hadn't happened. And I kind of agree. Like it put him on the map in a way that says now, instead of a studio being like, okay, you're kind of quirky at like, make the movie a little quirky, but like, don't get crazy. And now they're like, Taika Waititi is successful and people like him. Let him do it. Let him be who he's going to be because that's what people are responding to. And, mm-hmm. and that's a really tough thing. As I kind of alluded to earlier with the, the anime discussion about some of these other adaptations, a lot of the time, studio executives, producers, the people that are holding the money and therefore that are ultimately calling the shots are often reigning creatives in because they want something, they want something that pops, but they don't want something that pops in the wrong way. And they are constantly nervous. The film industry is like politicians. They are always the last ones to come around on an issue because they don't want to be avant-garde on that issue for fear of alienating their audience. Um, and so Taika Waititi is able to break away from that to a, to a larger extent because of his runaway success with Ragnarok that kind of came out of nowhere and established him as this unique voice. Uh, and since then, he has been able to maintain that unique voice in other properties. And so, yeah, that voice, one of the things that's so interesting about the is that voice is not a voice I would associate with Akira. Like I would actually put Akira at about the opposite end of the spectrum from Taika Waititi's directorial voice. And so I'm really curious to see what Akira as reinterpreted by Taika Waititi means. It feels Mm -hmm. like it's going to be something entirely different, a wholly new take on that property. And I think that that sounds really exciting and interesting because I have a lot of faith in Taika Waititi and because I think that that core of Akira is is strong enough and is relevant and important enough that someone, a filmmaker like Taika Waititi, is going to look at that and say, I I can maintain this while making it something new. So yeah. I, I have a lot of faith uh, in that in the same way that I have with Bebop, although I'm expecting Bebop to be much more faithful. Yeah. So, hey, by the way, uh, I don't know if we need to do a recap episode part this week. And the biggest (sighs) reason why 
is because the first episode of these episodes is a recap episode. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you want to get recapped on these episodes, uh, other than, you know, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is about two brothers. It's just about two brothers. It's called two brothers. It's <laughs> called two brothers. <laughs> um, so, you should watch episode yeah. 27, Interlude Party, which is just a clip show. Uh, it is. Reminding everybody uh, is about all the fun you've had in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood up until this point before giving you is... uh, an absolutely great new opening bop. <laughs> yeah, there is a framing device, um, which is filmmaker speak for there is stuff going on around the clip show that establishes the clip show as like why this is happening, which is specifically that Hohenheim who is the father of our protagonists at an owl is uh, at some point long in the past at a festival in the, the village where at an owl were born and where they grew up. And uh, he is talking to a woman that I definitely did not think was Pinaco, but that Wikipedia told me was Pinaco. Uh, and he's being a Debbie downer and not having any fun. And everybody else is like, have fun, you dummy. And uh, eventually, because of remembering all the things that have happened in the story, even though this is before the story, uh, he comes to the conclusion that humans suck because they are foolish and pitiful and weak. And the girl is like, they are people like people die. And so they have to fight to live. And that's what makes humans special. And it was like a nice sentiment that goes with the, the show. Um, but once we got to the end of the episode, I was like, I'm pretty sure you don't have to watch this. Like, if you don't want a recap, you could probably skip episode 27 whole cloth. Yeah. And not it, miss out on anything. It it arguably could also be happening just in Hohenheim's mind. So just be aware oh, right. of that. It's, it's yeah, definitely the surreal. And yeah, the very end, like the very, very end of the episode, he wakes up in what appears to be the present based on the change in colors. And uh, he's been drinking. And so it seems like him being a being a bad person at a party at the party was him remembering in a dream that stuff happening, which I guess justifies then the flashbacks actually being flash forwards. Uh, yeah. Now I want to go watch Lost. All yeah, right, let's go to twenty eight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, episode twenty eight is called Father, and this one starts out first and foremost with gluttony, just absolutely gross tummy mouth vomiting out. Uh, <laughs> tummy Ed. mouth vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> he throws up Ling and Ed. You know Ling from Shing, the person that you're definitely writing a rap about. And also Envy, which is now inside of his big giant boss form, which is... Dog, lizard, human face thing. Yeah, big gross thing. And Father, who apparently is a homunculus, is going to do oh so yeah. many things. The is first thing, The first thing that he is going to do is that he is going to reveal that he has the ability to... Uh, Thanos styles snap alchemy from existence if he wants to. Yeah. He Ed and Al have this ability because they've both seen past the door of truth. So instead of drawing a transmutation circle, they can just clap their hands 
and then their body functions as a transmutation circle. And Father takes that even a step further by literally not having to do anything. Like he just summons alchemy at his whim. And this mm-hmm. is mysterious. Then mm-hmm. he also has a dampening field or something. Like he literally, like Ed and I'll start fighting him. And he's like, no, I don't want you guys to be able to do alchemy. And so then he, he, I think he touches the ground and you see like it light up with the red energy that often accompanies alchemy. And then they are not able to do alchemy at all. And actually we're going to find out in one of the later episodes that we're watching today that nobody was able to do alchemy. It wasn't just in this like underground lair that they're in. It was everywhere, or at least it was everywhere in the city that, that the underground lair is beneath. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, it's, it's really kind of surreal what happens inside of this episode because you're just like what the fuck he's able to do so many things and then he's going to continue to do even more things because he's going to be like all right ling i have no use for you except for you're a body and as a body that is in front of me i can take out a piece of philosopher's stone from my weird creepy jagan eye that's on me and uh, <laughs> drop that drop that into your body and create a homunculus out of you. And apparently this homunculus is going to be the avarice of father, which is going to be greed. Not the same greed that we have met before. And this greed takes over Ling's body. Ed is convinced that Ling is still in there, but greed keeps on being like, no, he's gone. Don't worry about him anymore. Don't think about him anymore. Yeah. He's not important. This is uh, very confusing because it is greed. It is the same voice actor, but he has no memories from before. And I'm like, not sure if he's the same one, but he gets a reset or if he is a new one entirely, because then later on another homunculus dies and, and he's like, I'm going to remake you, but I'm going to retain your memories this time. So I think there was something about the like remaking process that this is the same greed, but he got sort of like wiped. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he also, yeah, there's this interesting sequence while Ling is being made into a homunculus. We talked about this, I think in our most recent full metal alchemist brotherhood episode before this, in which um, we discovered that the Fuhrer King Bradley was made into a homunculus. Um, usually homunculi are made from nothing when you are trying to create a human using alchemy, Bradley is different. He was a human already. And uh, when he was in his adolescence, he was made into a homunculus in the same process by having a philosopher's stone added to his bloodstream. And because it didn't kill him, it made him into a homunculus. Um, So Mm -hmm. he is unique among the homunculi that we've seen so far. This is the same process, but what we see this time is we see this process um, going internal. So Ling, as the Philosopher's Stone is coursing through his body, he goes into this sort of like mental internal void in which he is faced with the sort of um, big spooky Dormammu face of greed. And greed is like, I'm going to take over your body. And Ling is like, yeah, fuck yeah, that's why I'm here. And greed's like, that's weird. Usually people are not down. And Ling is like, well, I'm down, take over. And then that's when greed sort of wakes up as Ling. Um, it, it kind of, eh, my husband's been reading Animorphs. It makes me think of like the Yerk possession and Animorphs where like some people are into it, but it also makes me think of that because 
Ed keeps saying Ling is still in there. I can tell that Ling is still in there, and Greed is like, he's not. And I think that he is. I think that it's not playing by Animorphs rules where you're just like pushed off to a side of your mind and you don't have any power to take back over. But I think it is sort of a, a magical version of that in a way where like Ling has been subjugated magically by this process, but perhaps not as gone as greed or maybe even father would expect him to be. I, I don't, I don't actually know. I, I, I think I've said this a few times. I've watched full metal alchemist brotherhood a few times before, but I've never finished it. Like I've always gotten distracted. And then when I returned to it, I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to start it over. Um, so I don't know what happens here, but I, if I were a betting man, I would say that Ling is going to come back to consciousness in some big way in the future. Yeah. All right. The other thing that is uh, pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty important and you, you need to be aware of it um, is that uh, the other characters that are around these guys that are having this battle. I, I, I just, I don't think that we talk about it enough that the the rest of the world is, I guess, being completely altered by this battle at the same time. There's like a brief snapshot before you get May and uh, Scar running in where Van Hohenheim and other people inside of the world feel the change in alchemy inside of this moment. And that is how powerful Father is. He is able to yeah. reach across the world, basically, to alter alchemy as everyone knows it at when when they're going through it. It's 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 really wild um, how oh. powerful he is all of a sudden, and it's 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 a moment where, as somebody who is currently still rewatching um, uh, uh, Bleach, it is it is a moment where you get. Uh, a, a character that is going to kind of like break reality in the same way that uh, you you're going to have a character do that. If you're following along with Bleach and you you're not updated with this, I'm not going to give away the name of the character, but he right, breaks be the reality. <laughs> yeah, he breaks the reality of Bleach in a real huge way. So just be aware that this is this is how powerful of a character Father is. Yeah, and you said something earlier. You said he was a homunculus. Does he say that? Uh, I'm not saying he's not, because that's been established as like a thing in this universe, and and he seems like he is more or less following those same rules, but also being much more powerful than the average one we've met. But like, I don't remember them saying it. And he act he has so many uh, greater abilities that I I could see him being something else, mm. but because he looks exactly like Ed Now's dad. And before yeah. this whole fight happens, they both see him, see father for the first time. And they're like, dad? And he's like, oh, you must be the Elric brothers. And they're like, well, I guess you're not our dad, but you sure do look like him. Yeah. And just that, be, it's just, what's going on? Yeah. Maybe, maybe don't listen to everything that I say because maybe I'm giving stuff away. But also. Well, I do my best not to listen to you most of the time, <laughs> like, to be fair. That's just like a rule that I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, like, ugh, he's dumb. Who would listen to him on a weekly basis? All right, continuing on with this fight, uh, Ed is going to fight with Greed. 
uh, May and Scar are going to run in, and it turns out they can still use their alchemy because maybe it's a little bit of a different kind of alchemy, but we'll see. Yeah. And, uh, the Scar thing surprised me. I was not surprised that alchemy worked because it, it seems like alchemy by a different name with a little bit of a different avenue, but I wasn't surprised that that one worked. But the fact that Scar's Destructo arm worked, I was very surprised. Mm-hmm. That, my understanding was that it's just regular alchemy, but it doesn't go the whole way. Yeah. Uh, so that was surprising. What also was surprising is that Scar puts his Destructo hand on Father's face. And Father is completely unfazed. And then he Destructo's Father's face and it does not do anything. And then Father is like, that's a cool technique. Let me try it. And then he's about to like explode Scar and Scar barely gets out of the way. It's super cool. It's such a great moment of like, oh, fuck, this guy is way too powerful. Yeah. And if you're if you're wondering how powerful you're you're not going to see it quite yet. But uh, he is definitely he is definitely the most powerful character, I think, in the show that we're ever going to have. But uh, just I would just, be surprised if that's not true. Just be aware that you're you might be meeting the final boss sort of situation. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is that's and that's what this feels like in the story, right? Because we're we're around halfway through with the animated series. And um, and so this feels very much like a sort of story beat that you find a lot in these types of stories where. Okay, at this point, we have been building up to whoever is the the great evil behind all of this. So the you know the the great antagonist. Um, and now at this point in the story, we're just about halfway through. We're going to finally give you the payoff of showing you who he is and establishing how unbeatably dangerous and powerful he is, uh, or they are, as the case may be. But in this, it's a he. Uh, and then, um, and then we're going to find a way for the heroes to escape so that they can lick their wounds. And so that this, the sort of like introduction of this character properly to the heroes can start changing the way that the plot is going. So this, this feels very much like sort of a, a storytelling trope and one that I love to see, but, uh, definitely when, when this is happening, you're like, if this were the last couple of episodes, it would feel appropriate but because it's not, I think it's that sort of like meet meet the villain halfway through thing. And I think that seems to be what, what is the case here, even though I don't technically know the answer. Yeah. Okay. And that leads us to the end of the sort of episode where um, uh, Father is going to find out that Gluttony, uh, when trying to chase after Scar and uh, May and Alphonse, who are running away... Um, and oh man, there's that sweet ass moment where Scar uses like one of the pipes that's inside of the building, uh, to explode out. And then he throws Alphonse's head to create a spark off of a metal, uh, pipe, which creates an explosion for him to escape from. It's just such a sweet moment. Uh, it's so cool. That brings gluttony to the edge of death. And so father, uh, turns him back into a philosopher's stone thing and reabsorbs him. And he's just like, I'll give you a body back later. Don't you worry. Yeah. uh, This is interesting. We've seen this before that homunculi have a, they have, they're like cats. They can be, they can return from death, but only a certain number of times. 
Uh, we don't know mm-hmm. exactly how many times that is, but yeah, gluttony is at his limit. But this is where this is where father is like, when I make you again, you will get to keep your memories this time. I'm going to fix that problem. So that's mm-hmm. that's kind of an interesting little wrinkle there too, which also to me says that father is super strong. But like in multiple points in this, he learns things on screen. He does not know who the Elric brothers are. Like he's heard of them, but he does not know them by sight. And so when they show up and they start talking, he's like, oh, I think you guys must be the Auric brothers based on what I've heard. Then when Scar shows up, he, first of all, he does not, he, he is surprised to find that Scar and May are able to use their alchemy or alkahestry as the case may be. And then when Scar tries to attack him with his destructor arm, it doesn't do anything, but he is like, oh, that's an interesting technique. Like he, he doesn't seem like he's seen it before. And then again, here, greed came back but didn't have any of his memories and now he's making this comment about gluttony and so to me what what this does is it makes the unbeatable antagonist into somebody who could be beaten he cannot be beaten now but he doesn't know everything he is not all powerful he is still learning and that means that he can become stronger and more dangerous but also that the heroes can continue to learn more and perhaps meet or surpass him and i love it it's so good it's so good yeah that takes us into episode 29 struggle of the fool and this episode starts out with uh envy being like okay we're all done with all of that so come outside and we'll go and hang out outside so he (laughs) takes ed and al and they uh they 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 leave out of uh, the underground area uh, under duress and it turns out that they've just been underneath central command the whole time which is just like oh god this is this is like every single person who is like a, a conspiracy theorist either yeah. worst <laughs> fear or also like you know greatest wet dream <laughs> I, I was gonna say this is the deep state like <laughs> this is the this is the lizard people controlling the government. Like this is all of that shit for real. Yeah. So it's not going well. (laughs) No. Yeah. And this is, this was kind of alluded to in our last coverage when, when Mustang was like, I think I figured out that the Fuhrer is not who he says he is. And I am going to tell the other military leaders and lead them in a coup against him because when they find out that he is an inhuman monster working towards his own ends, they will be against him. And then he gets taken into a conference room where like all these other military leaders are sitting around being like, yeah, we fucking know, but he's making us powerful. So who gives a shit, you know, like that, which is, you know, which is the actual conspiracy that is real that just like people are corrupt, you know, but like, uh, he he discovers that, and so then Ed and Al get taken to meet up with his story. Uh, at the end of Mustang's story, all of his underlings are reassigned to different bases. They're split up and sent off in different directions, except for his second-in-command, Hawkeye, who is made the personal assistant of the Fuhrer, which functionally makes her a hostage. Um, Mustang is then left when we left off with him in the office with the Fuhrer having a conversation with him. Ed and Al are taken by Envy into that same office where Mustang is sitting. And to me, at least, I got the impression that basically Mustang's story had been happening 
and got him to that point. And then we went back to watch what was happening with Ed and Al. And now we are kind of converging with what was going on with Mustang. And they're all picking up from where they left off. Uh, I don't know if you saw it that way, Spencer, but that was the, the vibe that I was getting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, this episode okay? also, this, this episode gives us just so many times as well, where it is just so brutal that they are completely under the thumb of your King Bradley. And it's just put in so many different ways where he's just like, if you don't help me, I'm going to kill all your friends and all your family. He just is such a mob boss situation. Yeah. They like Ed tries to leave the military and he's just like, if you do, I'm going to kill this Winry person that you care so much about. And he's like, ugh. (laughs) <laughs> but what's great is the way that he does it. He's always so genial. Like he, he can get serious. So his approach is to seem like the sort of kind dad ruler guy. So he's like, oh, well, you know, I, I can't make you stay in the military, but I do want you to. And if you don't, I'm going to kill this person that you love. So like, it is your choice. You get to make that choice. Um, And he just like, it's not, it, it, it absolutely is a threat and at a certain level it is indistinguishable from him being like you will stay in the military or i'll kill the person you love but he doesn't see that he says it's your choice i either way will work out for me uh yeah. but there will be a consequence to you quitting yeah. uh, and that's so much more interesting to me um and, and he basically does that again like uh, so ed is like okay well i guess i won't quit that sucks but like you know ed and al like this all started with us looking for a way to get our bodies back like can we still do that and he's like yeah of course you can like why wouldn't you uh i i'm still going to be in charge of you because you'll be in the military and by consequence i will know where to find you so do what you want um it it just it's so interesting because it's not like he's not trying to make them prisoners but he has total control over them it's so interesting and and the same thing for mustang mustang is like you know that my ambitions are to have your job someday i'm gonna continue pursuing those ambitions and he's just like yeah sounds great it's so interesting yeah and i think i think the thing that sort of is the most interesting about this is that it feels like the 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 homunculus are sort of building their plan with a sense of curiosity of like, is there somebody that can stop us? And it sort of reeks of the curiosity of somebody who has eternal life in a cool way that usually like vampires are represented where like they live forever. So sometimes they just challenge themselves to see if there's something that can possibly give them excitement inside of the world still. And that's the way the homunculus sort of reek to me where they like, they they're annoyed when things don't go their way, but at the same time they're exhilarated by it. And I, yeah, well, and they, they have that confidence of knowing that they've got time. And, mm -hmm. And I think that that's what works here too, is that like Fury King Bradley, he's not concerned that Mustang is going to continue trying to take his job. He's not concerned that Ed and Al are going to go try and find a super strong power source to fix themselves because Mm -hmm. he is confident that what they are doing is not going to stop what he wants to happen. And Mm -hmm. it's great. 
They feel like they're in a vice, but they also feel like they're powerless and they feel like the villains know it. And at this point in the story, you feel like you know it too. Yeah. Oh man, this 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 anime is just so good. Um, also, yeah. uh, Scar Scar's still running around the underground, and he's going to come upon Marco, um, and uh, he is going to talk to him about what Father did and what happened with his Ishvalan extermination, um, which is we've talked about this before. They destroyed all of these people inside of Ishval in order to create the Philosopher's Stone. And also, they were like, by the way, we should just go ahead and kill all the other Ishvalans, I guess. <laughs> it seems like yeah. it, at least. It, it, to me, it, uh, the impression has always been, well, we've got a military, let's make it a horrific military event so that nobody pays attention to the many people that disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Like, by making mm-hmm. it a war it becomes inherently chaotic in a scenario in which you expect people to go missing and never return. And so it like works to their advantage, but yeah, it becomes this like horrifying cultural event. And, uh, and yeah, so scar in the last episode, he finds out he is told by Ed and Al that envy is responsible and envy does not refute that. And so he now has learned that it, it was not the military that caused this war, even though they still did carry it out. Scar still has a chip on his shoulder, but uh, it was not the military that, that started this war. It was the homunculi working under father. But then Marco is like, I'm responsible too, because I, as a regular person was conscripted by father to start doing the human sacrifice thing. So like, I, I'm like directly responsible, like part of that surprise. This is what this was all about was me. And you're here and I'm going to confess that to you. Yeah. And he's, he's basically he wants Scar to kill him. Yeah. He's basically, he's basically like the, the horrible monster thing that you find created by accident. That's just like, please kill me. Yeah. He is committing suicide by confession of sin. Yeah. Um, and that's what the next episode is all about. Episode 30. <laughs> yeah. So episode, uh, episode 30 is going to happen. Well, one of the last thing that is going to happen inside of this is that, uh, there's, there's a big reveal also, uh, about greed Ling giving a message to Lan fan, which is going to be very, very important. Uh, Al is going to smuggle may out inside of his body um, and then that takes us into episode 30, the oh, Ishvalan war of extermination. That was, a, that was a cool moment too, actually with, uh, with may being smuggled on his body. Cause this happened before when the original greed had some of his acolytes and one of them was hiding in Al's body and the Fuhrer knew about it, even though he kind of like, shouldn't have known about it. And then he stabs into Al's body and kills the person inside in this. He does the same thing as Ed and Al and Mustang are leaving his office the Fuhrer stabs Al to kill whatever's inside of him. And there is someone inside of him, but she's, she dodges the blow. She, she can tell that it's coming and she like hides down into one of Al's legs because she's a child and she can move down there. And Mm -hmm. it's this cool moment where you're like, Oh shit, he knows he's going to kill her. It's the same thing that happened before. And then it, it plays out exactly the same, except the result is different that she doesn't die. And it was just this really cool sort of like moment of parallelism that I I really enjoyed. Anyway. Yeah. Episode 30. Yeah. So this episode is really broken down into kind of like, um, two, two big storylines, both of which happen inside of the past. 
Um, the the first one is going to be um, about about the the philosopher's stone and the Ishvalan war, basically in general. And uh, you're gonna find out more and more about this asshole guy named Kimberly. And uh, Kimberly is the damn worst. He is. Uh, he might be the most evil person inside of the anime. Do you do you think anybody else is more crazy than Kimberly? Um, no. Kimberly is the uh, "here I go killing again" character. Like, yeah, he's he's, he's the Crimson Alchemist. He is the guy that has the ability to turn things, basically anything, into bombs that he wants. Um, yeah, and uh, he he can he he basically has like. Two sides of a uh, the clap in order to create. <laughs> he's got the clap. Um, he's got two <laughs> sides of his ability on his hands in order to create alchemy. And you're like, oh, that's kind of like Ed and Al, except for the fact that his alchemy is with one very specific purpose, which is bombs, bombs, bombs. Give me more bombs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's yeah he's the he's the sadistic bastard guy. There's a there's a lot of these in anime, um, and it, specifically in a lot of anime where there is a a cold and calculating bastard, which I would say is the Fuhrer, uh, or the sort of like disaffected puppet master, which I would say is father. Uh, there is usually a in, an insane murder bastard, and that is Kimberly. Yeah, I'm I would to think say of it in terms of My Hero Academia, but I can't remember which one is the insane murder bastard. I was gonna be like, it's uh, it's um, it's Stain, but he's very much not the insane murder bastard. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I would say that Kimberly also has uh, a, a his his taste in suits is pretty sweet as well. Um, <laughs> That's true. I can't remember. I can't remember if it's this episode or another episode later where he's just wearing like this all white suit with a sweet hat. And I'm like, yeah. man, he, he's either going on like a hangout murder rampage or he's like going to a fancy church. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you at the cotillion. <laughs> yeah. We're going to dress up fancy. Yes, we're going to wear hats and we're going to go wave at a boat. <laughs> Making people explode, but fashion. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that we are going to remember in the past, but also be told in the past is that uh, Mustang is going to be studying under Hawkeye's dad, and there is a a big uh, a, a big uh, let's say rift that happens, yeah, yeah, between Hawkeye's father and Mustang because he doesn't want Mustang to join the military, and one of the reasons why is because he's like, hey. Um, it might not be a good idea to join the military because it seems like the military is going to be using the powers that I am teaching you for the wrong reasons. And Mustang's like, it's fine. And then exactly (laughs) what he's worried about happens. (laughs) But there's an interesting parallel here with Mustang and with Ed and Al, which is Ed and Al, especially early in the series, sort of wrestle with or address the fact that like, by joining the military, I might be asked to utilize these alchemical powers in ways that I don't particularly want to, but mm-hmm. in exchange, I get access to the resources of the military. And I, I wouldn't say that Mustang goes as deep into this. This flashback just isn't, it's not about him. Like this episode is about other stuff, but this is established as where he's coming from. 
So I couldn't tell you exactly what resources he's going for with the military, but he's clearly coming from the same place of like the opportunities of being involved in the military are worth the sacrifices of maybe being asked to do something that I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And then the Ishvalan war starts and he is sent to it. So it, uh, it definitely blows up in his face a little bit. Yeah. And by a little bit, uh, it just means that he is, uh, a, a part of a genocide. So it just a little yeah. bit. This, um, uh, this episode spends a lot of time looking at that war and what, what happened during it, um, sort of from the perspective of Mustang, uh, and to a lesser extent, Hughes and showing them as the sort of like good guys on the battlefield and sort of grappling with that moral gray area. Yeah. I don't know. Some people out there listening might not even agree that it's a gray area, but that, that sort of that, that space between these are generally good people. And part of what makes them good is that they don't want to be doing this. But part mm-hmm. of what makes them flawed or in, I would suspect some people's estimation, no longer good is that they are doing it anyway. Like they are, they are stuck in a system, in a society and a military where they're, they don't really have a choice not to do it. Right. If they defected, they would be killed. If they, if they objected, there would be major consequences. Their lives would be functionally over, if not literally over. And so they're sort of trapped by circumstance into doing something that they disagree with. But it also shows you that Mustang, because of his involvement in the Ishvalan Civil War, that is where his dream to become the Fuhrer like, becomes reality. Where he's like, I want to become the person in charge so that this shit doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wants to he wants to be in charge in order to stop things from happening again but at the same time you're just kind of like uh yeah i i I don't think it would have happened if you didn't have a near crazy dictator that is also a homunculus running the show so uh maybe 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 anybody that is a normal human that is using diplomacy maybe uh, wouldn't do this but uh whatever anyways uh um uh, another big thing that's going to happen inside of this um, is we are going to realize that Marco is also gone by the end of this. After telling all of this story and all of this background about the Ishvalan war and the extermination of all of these people, Marco is dead and the word vengeance is written above him in blood and you're like, uh-oh, Scar has finally decided that he is all done playing around, even more so than he already was. I yeah, say, he was already on a murder rampage, so I'm wondering where this goes. <laughs> yeah, so so let's uh let's be aware of all of that. Uh I I think that's I think that's the big points from this episode. Did you have? Yeah, there was some stuff going on with Ed and Hawkeye that was really nice, but I'm not sure how relevant it was. So totally, totally worth watching. I mean, this whole series so far has been uh, other than, I guess, episode 27, the recap episode. Every episode's a, a, a don't miss this episode quality. So I would say, you know, if you're not watching along, I would encourage you to consider strongly watching along. Uh, because they're all they're all worth it and there's definitely like a lot of like lovely moments and nuance that we're not able to get to 
and so, yeah, I would say there is a whole thing going on with Ed and Hawkeye somewhat in the background here that's really nice, but that ultimately doesn't make a huge difference in like the overall plot progression that we're covering, but is a really, really good character moment. Yeah, um, and stick with us after these credits, and we'll give you another sneak peek into what's coming on in later episodes. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions and presented as part of the Geekly Grind podcast network. Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 13 sound wizard. 13? Did he jump even more levels? He gained a lot of experience by defeating the Dark Lord of Smooth Jazz. Do you mean Chuck Mangione from King of the Hill? Rashad is the King of the Hill now. Damn it, Bobby. Anyway, our podcast is ad-free, and if you want to keep it that way, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Get Jumped. Also, we have a Discord server. You can find the links to that on all of our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New review episodes come out every Monday, and new rewatch episodes appear every Friday. And hey, thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Jeremy Snow, owner and editor-in-chief of The Geekly Grind. We interrupt your awesome, regularly scheduled programming to ensure you're aware of The Geekly Grind podcast network, of which this show is a treasured member of... If you haven't had a chance to check out our site, you can do so at thegeeklygrind.com, and while you're there, take a look at the other members of our steadily growing podcast family, including the anime-centric Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, discovering new heroes on comic book keepers with Chris and Lance, exploring the vast universe of geekdom with Geeksploration, or appreciating animation's finer details with JD's Ink and Paint Club. Escape your weekly grind at the Geekly Grind. Next week on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we're watching Mob Psycho 100, episodes 4 through 6. Yeah, but before that, you should listen to the Monday episode, because I swear to God, man, we're covering something crazy, which is going to be the new Star Wars Visions, which is a uh, Disney adaptation with some of the best, best animation studios in all of Japan. So uh, get excited, because I'm stoked. (laughs) 